0: This is A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends, a podcast ministry of Somebody Cares America, being a tangible expression of Christ in a hurting world. Recently, I was speaking at multiple services at a church in Texas, and one of the key themes I was talking about was putting God back in the house, or put El back in Bethel. Now, in Scripture, El means God. Bethel, or some would call Bethel, is the house of God. And it's important for us to recognize that too often we worship the institution, and yet we forget that we should be worshiping God of the institution, or God of the church, or God of the house of God. But when I'm talking about putting God back in the house, I'm talking about a uh, the microcosm of our own hearts, putting God back in our lives, back in our hearts, that El would be the Lord of our lives in every way, because we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus, so we no longer belong to ourselves, but we belong to the Lord. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So first and foremost, putting El back in our own house, in this temple, putting God back in the, the throne of our hearts individually, but also we need God back in the family, back in the home, you know, the family unit is a microcosm of the church at large, as well as the church across a, a city or a nation or around the world. So first and foremost, before we can talk about the church in the sense of a the ecclesia or the, the local church in the building or the church at large universally or the church at uh, in the context of a generation, we need to talk about God back in our hearts, back in our homes back in our families and being the lord of our hearts in our homes in our families once we can get back in order and proper alignment there then we can truly begin to understand the importance of putting l back in the bethel or god back in the house of the lord or god back in the church and again i i said this earlier that oftentimes we've become so formula oriented or systems oriented that we forget that it really is a walk of faith in Christ Jesus and that God's house is to be a house of God or a house of prayer for all nations. And for us to truly understand the dynamic of the house of the Lord, we have to understand the importance of God being the Lord of our own hearts than putting God back into the house of prayer, the house of the Lord or the church. Too often, though, we've allowed the formulas of religion or the formulas of institutional Christianity dictate to us how we respond within our culture or society. But if we learn to put God first and let God be on the throne of our hearts, in the throne of our families, in the midst of our homes and families, and back into the heart of the church, then the church, which is a system of infrastructure, now has a dynamic of the ecclesia, the dynamics, the organism of, of God's Holy Spirit, Beginning to move in and through us when I say organism i 'm not talking about some ethereal kind of thought I 'm talking about we the church, are an organism, and it should be organic of relationship first with God then with one another, but that 's not going to happen if l or God is not in the throne of our heart in our homes and families, and in the house of the Lord or in his church. We need God back in the house, we need l back in Bethel you'll You'll understand more here in a moment. Let me just quote to you out of. Genesis chapter 31 verse 13 and this is the New King James version and he says I am the God or the El of Bethel where you anointed the pillars and where you made a vow to me says the Lord now arise get out of this place that you're stuck in so to speak out of this land and return to the land of your family in Genesis chapter 35 verse 7 it says and he built there an altar And called the place El Bethel, because there God was revealed unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. He's speaking to Jacob, who later became Israel, but he's speaking to Jacob about his brother Esau. And so God is saying, look, in this place, call this place where you have built this altar as a place called El Bethel, the God of the house, the God of the house of God, because there God was revealed unto him, When he fled from the face of his brother. In Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 23, I want to take this and kind of dissect it a little bit because this really fits with putting God back in the house and God back into our worship, into our our families, into the house of the Lord. In Mark chapter 11, verse 12, it starts off and it says, Now the next day, when they had come from Bethany, he was hungry, meaning Jesus was hungry. Verse 13, and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it to eat. When he came to this fig tree, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat from you ever again. Now, I always wonder because the disciples, it says the disciples heard what he said, but I always thought, well, how can you uh, curse a fig tree because it only has leaves when it's not even in the season for figs so again let's look at this for a moment he says he was hungry and when he was coming out of bethany he was hungry and he saw a fig tree afar off that had leaves he could see the leaves on the fig tree but when they went close to it he found nothing to eat on it because he found nothing but the leaves where it was not the season for figs wait a minute how can you curse a fig tree when it's not even the season to produce figs. In other words, how can you get upset with something when it's not time to bear fruit? So in response, Jesus said to it, "'Let no one eat fruit from you ever again.'" And the disciples heard it. Now, pause there for a moment because he goes immediately from that story right into the story of the cleansing of the temple. So verse 15 says, "'So they came to Jerusalem, "'and then Jesus went into the temple. "'He began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple.'" and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now let's stop for there and look at this for a moment. Why did Jesus do this? And there is a correlation between not finding figs on the fig tree, even out of season, going into the place of the temple. And in the outer court there, there are those who were selling wares. There were money changers selling items, but they were selling items like doves and other things for the worshipers to come to purchase to bring into the temple to make sacrifices. So it was something required of them to offer as living worshipers to bring sacrifices of their worship to the temple. You know, I, I think of it this way, and I was sharing recently about this. After many hurricanes or tornadoes or even, you know, in the last couple of years in Houston, Texas, and the Gulf, there was hurricanes like Hurricane Harvey. Then in Puerto Rico, Hurricane Maria. Then there's Hurricane Florence and Hurricane Michael over on the East Coast. And these are things that happen that are natural disasters. But what's really sad is that, for example, when you have contractors who go are st- like storm chasers, contractors, or or garbage disposal uh, companies that come and pick up trash or, or rubbish when you're trying to clean out your homes and put things out on the streets. You have people coming and they begin to gouge the cost to do something they know you have to do. You're trying to get your life back in order. And so even a tow truck driver who normally maybe charges $35 or $50 a tow Now, after a crisis, knowing people are going to have to get their cars out of the flooded water or out of areas because their cars are flooded, they gouge it and and double the price because they know they can get it or they also charge insurance companies the same, which then ultimately the insurance companies come back and increase our premiums and increase our fees for having insurance. Then you see contractors who come in and make all these promises to help fix your home or after you've been flooded, there's been destruction on your home through a storm. But they gouge the prices. And people then who sell the lumber and sell other items begin to gouge the prices. That's an atrocity. And this is exactly what's happening here. Jesus comes into the temple. He sees people that are coming to have to purchase items that that is required of them as worshipers to bring to sacrifice in the temple, and yet the people selling those items are gouging the prices and taking advantage of the worshipers. And in that context, Jesus overturns the money changers. He overturns those people that are gouging prices and taking advantage of the worshipers. And then he says to them, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you made it a den of thieves. You're taking advantage of the worshipers. And it says in verse 18 of Mark chapter 11, And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, being Jesus. For they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now let me just pause again. They feared him. They were angry at him because he was bringing truth to an ungodly situation. And the people were astonished at his teachings. You know, we live in a world today that there is a lack for the love of integrity and truth and character. We need a revival of character again. And it doesn't start with those in the world or all the seven spheres or seven mountains of the culture. It starts with us. God needs to be back in his house in our lives, in our hearts, individually and corporally, and we need El back in the Bethel. We need God back in the house of God. We need God back in our worship. So too often we become worshipers who love to worship the worship, but we forget that it's about worshiping God and walking in that place of adoration to God, and it, we begin to worship the concept of what, how we feel when we worship. I was thinking about Saul again recently, And King Saul, whenever he was around King David playing the harp or worshiping, he felt this just comfort of peace because he was in the middle of the the place of worship. But it didn't change him because God wasn't in his heart. It wasn't God in his house, so to speak, and it wasn't El in the Bethel. But he enjoyed being around worship. He enjoyed being around uh, things of God, and he enjoyed being around it when David was playing the harp and worshiping God. But when he went out of that place... He went back to being his old self without the characteristics of the kingdom, so to speak. And so we have to see a change in us and a change in the church because God has to be the Lord of his church, has to be back in our worship, back in our church, back in our hearts. He has to be the God in our house, the God in our homes, the God in our families, the God in his church, God of the house of God. And so then it says here, after he left the city, after the people were angry at his truth, because just like then, we live in a day where people don't love the truth anymore, and they're turned over to strong delusion. And it says in verse 20 of Mark chapter 11, Now in the morning, now somebody they just left, he went from cursing the fig tree, going into the temple to cleansing the temple, to leaving that place and going back. And it says now in verse 20, Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter in verse 21 says, Remembering, said to him, Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain or obstacle, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, I have to stop here for a moment because I'm thinking about uh, what's the tie in here? Because he just talked, he just went from cursing a fig tree because he was hungry, but it was not bearing figs because it was not the season for figs. Then it takes you right into the story of the cleansing of the temple and, and those who had been propagating their wares and who have been taking advantage of God's people, who have turned God's holy place of being a house of prayer for all nations, turned into a place of peddling. Uh, we may even go as far as saying peddling the gospel. And I don't want this to be a, a tool by which you go out and start judging everyone else. Look, don't, you don't judge others and project your consecrations to others, but begin to look at our own hearts and say, God, where in me have I begun, even in my walk with you, to forget what it's really all about? And that, you know, even like the song uh, that came out years ago, it's, I think we all really love, says putting the heart of worship back in. What We need to put the heart of worship back in to our worship. We need to have the heart of worship again, because the heart of worship is God's heart to engage His presence so that His presence changes us, transforms us, renews us, so we can make a difference in the world around us. It's not about being just a part of a bless me club to go, let's enjoy what it feels good like to be in a corporate worship or to to hear good worship songs, but we need to go to a place where it brings us to our knees in, in humility and appreciation and adoration, and to the point we even say, not my will, Lord, but your will be done in my life. God, my worship is to offer myself in simple obedience to you, or willful, simple obedience was the highest form of worship. See, I've shared with you before that the first time the word worship is ever spoken of in Scripture is not in the context of singing music or playing instruments, It's in the context of living worshipers offering themselves in simple obedience or willful obedience to the things of God. So the same is true today. Our singing and our music, and those are awesome. I love it. But when we come to those places, it's not about just what it makes us feel good about. It's about coming into the presence and adoration of an extravagant, holy, 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 holy God. And in that place, His presence equalizes us. In that place, His presence does a work in us to do a work through us. And so when they come out of the temple and they see the fig tree again, and this time I know the story of the fig tree is now in direct uh, connection to the cleansing of the temple or the institutional church or the Bethel because it brings the story back. It starts with the story of the fig tree, goes into the temple cleansing, back into the cursing of the fig tree and it came up from the root. Well, I began to look at that over the years and realize that there is, there's a, something called the T-A-K-S-H, the toksh. It's an, it's an edible nodule on a fig tree. And if it's not on there, even out of season, you know it will never bear fruit. So it says that Jesus was hungry when he came out of Bethany. He goes and sees this fig tree with leaves, and he gets close to it, and he curses it because he probably recognized it will never bear fruit because it did not have the tox. It will show that it eventually will produce figs if that nodule called the tox is there. And it's edible, and it's sustainable to people, and it's nutritional uh, on that fig tree even out of season of figs. So I believe that Jesus saw those that tree, noticed there was no tox, no no nodules that he could eat from and, and gain from, and so he immediately goes into the change uh, to the money changers and turns over the money changers in the temple and says, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. What he's saying is, let's get rid of those things that will never be fruitful. I just want to stop back and reflect in my, as I begin to process what this meant to me, the Lord is saying, look, it's time to get rid of those things that are wasteful, that take up your time, that is frivolous. It were not in a season where we can just live life without understanding the times in which we live. I, I believe that there is the, the coming of the Lord is sooner than we've ever known. I believe the coming of the Lord is a preparation on our own hearts to put God as Lord of our hearts so we're not giving over to strong delusion, that we'll be lovers of truth, lovers of the kingdom of God and His truths, and to have His presence in us so we can make a difference to people around us in a world that's desperately in need of the presence of God. So, What he's saying to me, I believe, is that that we cannot continue down the path of just doing institutional formula and systems of Christianity. We need to do those things that will will bear fruit. And even though it may not be to the fullness of what we want to bear, there are signs along the way to see if we'll ever bear fruit that will last by the nodules or the talks or the spiritual talks and nodules in our lives right away, you can see that when they were trying to sell their wares, although the, the need for the, uh, the sacrifices to purchase the doves and other sacrifices were necessary, but they were being gouged and taking advantage of the worshipers, we have to get back to a place of recalibration, uh, regrouping and refreshing and getting a fresh revelation, a renewed revelation of the work of the cross, the power of the resurrection, the high cost of God's love, and all that the gospel really means in a world that needs the gospel. So that when we are in His presence and we understand what will bear fruit, and it's not the systems, it's not the formulas of walking out this kind of uh, cosmetic Christianity. In fact, I was sharing the other day about... The ancient Greek word uh, for play actor or stage performer or pretender is the word hypocrite. Now, we all know the word hypocrite. We call people, oh, you're such a hypocrite or that person's a hypocrite. But it comes from an ancient Greek word it used to mean a person who was performing on a stage or a play actor or a pretender of, of, of a position or, or, or a, uh, of a character. They were called play actors or stage performers. Today, we understand that because we see Hollywood, we see people who are actors on television shows, on movies. Those, they play a character, but that's not who they really are. So in the ancient Greek context of that word, they are pretenders, they're performers, they're actors, they're hypocrites. Today, in the real world, there are so many people who actually are play actors and stage performers, and they are, uh, they are hypocrites. And even those of us in the church, when we've been walking with the Lord, even for years, and we just go through the form or the formula of walking out our faith, we have the Christianese, we have the right words, we say the right things, we know how to talk the Christian language. And yet, even when we come to church, we don't come because we want to come just because, because, because we love the Lord and what He's already done. We come together because we like what it does for us to be around other people, or we come around because the worship feels good. We like the worship, what it makes us feel like, and, uh, and that we leave the same as when we come. If we really want to be those who are authentic and genuine, we come not in form or formula, but we come in faith. We come in this open to say, God, I want to know you more. I want it to be fresh every day. As I was sharing the other day, that manna was given, heavenly food was given every day. And yet it says the people began to detest or loathe this heavenly food. Can you imagine loathing heavenly food? Because they've been become accustomed to what they got in Egypt. Uh, you know, God takes us out of our world or out of our Egypt to put us in the in the desert to get the Egypt or world out of us so we can handle possessing the land of promise that God has given us. But too often we gather even in our form, in our formulas, our systems, and we become so accustomed to gathering together in what we call church that, that L is not in the Bethel, that God is not in our hearts. God is not in, the, in the, the direction of our hearts. He doesn't have ownership or lordship of our lives because we've learned to play act. We've learned to be performers, even in our worship. We've gotten to the point we worship the worshipers, and we worship the worship, we worship the music, rather than worshiping the one by which has changed our lives and is worthy of our adoration and worship, and that's the Lord himself. So it's important for us to get back to a perspective, and, and I call this in some of my what I call provoca thoughts. It's in that place we come back to realizing, God, I don't want to be one of those who started in the right, in the right heart, but somewhere along the way I'm living out a system of formula rather than living out a place of faith and relationship with you, God, because I never want it to become stale. I never want it to become something that I'm just to be kind of accustomed to. I want to be one who receives and enjoys The presence of God, because His mercies are new every morning. I want the fresh anointing of God's joy and presence every day. I need a fresh, renewed revelation of God's presence every day. I don't want to live on yesterday's manna, so to speak. I don't want to live on what God did 38 years ago, or 30 years ago, or 10 years ago, or or last week. I want God renewed and fresh, fresh in my life every day, so I don't become one who just walks through the steps and goes through the motions, or just a performer. I don't want to be a play actor. I want to be the real deal. I want to be authentic. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so I want God to help me to look at my own life where I have allowed um, uh, things to be unfruitful that will never bear fruit. And that's where even when Jesus said in other parables in the, in the Gospels, He said that you prune the tree from what is good so you can produce better I want God to prove me. You know, back in the fitness days, I used to be say, "No pain, no gain." Now I say, "Lord, make it hurt so good." I want God to keep reminding me what it's going to take for me to go deeper in consecration, higher in expectation with Him, so I can be all that God wants me to be. I don't want just to to just to go through the motions. I really want God to do a work in me to help me to be a part of this prophetic generation, a multi-generational uh, connection of people. That would be saying yes to God and to say, Lord, use me so that I can go and cross this place of land of the Jordan River, possess the land of promise called the Canaan land in a spiritual context and help others to find their way as well. I can't change my past, but God can take my past away, help me to get my past out of my heart so I can begin to move in the place of walking the fullness of the fruit that God wants in my lives. You know, along the way, sometimes we forget, don't we? We forget what it's really all about. So I'm just saying it's time to put God back in our hearts, God back in our own homes, God back in our families, and putting L back in Bethel. Put God back in the house of God. Put God back in the reason why we worship. Put God back in who we really are. If we do that in individual and corporate context, it's, it's unlimited what God can do. I like what D.L. Moody used to say, there are no limitations to those who've been in the presence of, of the Lord. We need the presence of God today. Just take a moment to reflect with me. If there's areas we've just kind of been accustomed to walking through the motion, where we've become accustomed to just being stage actors or performers, let us get back to the place of of that fresh revelation of the presence of God, that, that awesome reverence and appreciation for this extravagant, extraordinary, awesome love of God bestowed upon us, that it's a privilege to serve Him, and an honor and a privilege to be used by him to serve others. I like what Steve Hill, the great the late Steve Hill, the great evangelist, used to say when he wrote a book, It's a Time to Weep. And in that book I remember I don't remember most of it, but the two things I got out of this is what this. With one ear, listen to the music of heaven. Listen and be around, enjoy the music of heaven. And I do. But with the other ear, don't forget to listen. To the cries of those who are entering into the place of hell, the place of destruction. See, it's one thing to enjoy being salvaged from the shipwreck of life as God has redeemed us, but let us also never forget to be those who rescue those who are desperately shipwrecked still and distracted in this world. May we together rescue lives. May we together be those who represent the God in the house, the El back in the Bethel, God. In the house of God because it's time as things are being shaken everything can be shaken first in the house and then everything else God is shaking everything up so we can realize that the only hope for our future is for God back on the throne of our hearts and God truly back in the house of God which is a house of prayer for nations let us never forget to be a people of prayer a people of his presence a people of worship putting God back into His institution so we can be effective in reaching a world around us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.